besides if we did that today, Evan wouldn't have time to preach, right? Okay. Uh, so therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I don't have any righteousness of my own, but because of the righteousness of Christ, I now am a powerful prayer. And so are you, okay? So uh, you have been praying for a month, right? Throughout the month of August, praying for one another with those little cards. And that was kind of a little bit of an anonymous way to do it. And you guys shared last week all about how good that was, all right? So uh, we're gonna put James 5.16, not the confession part, uh, into practice here, but the prayer part. <laughs> well, if you want, you can confess. We're not gonna hold anybody back from that. Um, but we're not requiring that. Um, but we're going to put the prayer part into practice. So now is our time to share. And, uh, oh, I forgot about the mic. Uh, Pastor Evan, being as he ran all over the stage, ran me all over the stage, he's going to be our runner today. If uh, there's uh, anything you'd like to share, maybe a praise report, note of Thanksgiving, something like that, or a way that we can pray for you, uh, just Raise your hand, and Evan's going to come right to Caleb to start us off. So, uh, when I was on vacation, my cousin was found. He fell off a cliff at the Stratus Bowl, um, and the search and rescue found his body, and his parents came out from Minnesota to pick him up and take him back to Minnesota. Um, so he he's their second youngest, um, and they've really been having a hard time with that. His funeral is this weekend. Thank you, Caleb. Now, this is what I'm gonna ask. Is there somebody here who would pray for Caleb's family with the loss of this cousin? Someone who would pick up that prayer, just raise your hand, let me know. Okay, uh, well, are you guys going to fight over who prays? <laughs> Chris, I'm going to just going to appoint you to do it because you're praying for Daniel's family too. Uh, in this. Chris, would you go over there uh, and then just stand by for a minute? Okay, thank you, Chris. All right, any other prayer requests, praise reports, things like that uh, to be shared this morning? Now everybody's nervous. Everybody's scared. Look out, we're doing kingdom stuff here. All right. Well, I guess summer's over, and we're headed back to North Carolina Tuesday, and we really would appreciate the prayer of all of you that we might have a safe trip. We had uh, kind of a trip that you could write a whole book about last year, and it wasn't good, but the outcome was seemed to be God saying, see, I'm taking care of you. So that's a wonderful assurance. and. Uh, so uh, we'll hope to see you next summer. Okay. So Dick and Annette always join us in the summertime. It's a happy day when we see them for their first time back and a little bit of a sad day when we know they're returning, but we know they're going in God's hands. Do we have someone willing to pray for Dick and Annette as they make their journey back home? All right, Tim, if you would go over and stand with them and stand by. Okay. Daniel? <laughs> yes. Just sit by. 
so um, a two-parter here. Uh, I got invited to interview with a physician's assistant school this Friday, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, so if you could just be praying for that, just with the, the timing, and um, that would require us to move out to the cities for a little bit. Um, so just that the, the interview would go well, um, and God would place us where he wants us. Uh, the second part of it is, uh, Emma and I are pregnant. And we're excited about that. It's been, uh, it's been a road to get here, and so, um, yeah, we, we are, we're due in March, and, and we're excited, uh, but there's a lot going on with between PA school and, and now a baby in the mix. So go ahead and do an umbrella blanket prayer for the entire situation. <laughs> yeah, so for the stress of everything that's going to be happening here, that it's good stress and happy stress as they, as they move through that. So, and I, I can't believe my wife was out of the room when that announcement was made. Uh, Uh, all right, so who would, uh, oh, here she comes. Here she comes. Lori, I need you up here for a minute. Yeah, or, or in here. Lori, can we just have you? <laughs> but what I need you to do is to go over to Daniel and Emma. Okay. Okay, and I'm going to point you to pray for them. Okay, and I'm just going to let Daniel share real quick what you're praying for. Okay. Daniel yeah. would, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful thing? 
interest in how that can work. Creed? So uh, I just need a lot of prayer for healing in my body. Um, I've had a wrist injury for nearly a month now. Um, and it's still not getting much better, which is great. Uh, other than that, um, I find that I have severe sleep apnea and the breathe consistently about 40 minutes out of every eight hours. So that's great. Uh, so I'm tired a lot and sure. I need a lot of healing in that aspect of my life. So, okay. Uh, right. Who can I ask to pray for treat and uh, Logan? You got that one? All right. Thank you, Logan. All right. Any, any others? Tina? Hi, I'm Tina. Um, I just would like to have prayers for my brother-in-law. He uh, was in a bad four-door accident um, two weeks ago. Um, he, yeah, a lot of stuff happened. Uh, last Tuesday, he had reconstructive surgery on his face because his cheekbone was shattered and broke. So he's got a lot of upcoming surgeries as well. So just prayers for their family as they work through that. So now I need someone who would pray for Tina's brother-in-law and go stand with Tina so that we could do that. Okay, thank you, Justin. Okay, any others? I was really kind of hoping that Tyler, you'd go pray for somebody just so we could all see your wonderful space pants. I'll just, I'll just say that so that everybody will look for you at the event service. I was going to add one that it's not necessarily for myself, um, but be praying for all of the students who are at the University Ball Retreat today, yes. and for our young Joey Mulcahy, who is speaking at the camp as well, the graduate, <laughs> pouring into those young students. Okay, and I will close our time of prayer by praying for, uh, for those. And uh, probably should just mention, because we have been praying, and we always want to encourage you when you see or when you know that prayer has been answered, to share that as well. And I think seeing Carrie and Mary here together in church today is an answer to prayer. And I'll tell you what, uh, Carrie navigated that back step that has caused about 50% of our church population to fall on their face uh, perfectly. So, took 10 minutes. But also, please continue to be praying for Carrie as. Uh, anticipating another surgery uh, to come soon. All right, so this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, if, if you are close to any of those groups, if you would just kind of navigate close, we're going to let the prayer lead the prayer, but if you would join them in that particular prayer, I'm going to ask you now to pray all at the same time uh, for these particular needs, and then I will close this off so that Pastor Evan can come up here and preach a message. So go ahead, come around, and pray for one another. My free gift to this this body is your joy in you. Lord, I just pray for you watch over them as they head back to their The trip would be an enjoyable one. No surprises. Blessing for their family. Well, 
also pray that you would keep them in good health and see them again next summer. Lord, you are the one that watches over us. You protect us. You are always in our minds and hearts and working over us. I just pray for the season. Thank you for your body. Thank you for inhabiting each believer with the spirit of Christ and enabling us and empowering us to be ministers to one another. Uh, Lord, a common phrase of our prayer time has always been, there's no magic prayer genie up front, but there's a body of believers here who can all pray for one another. So I thank you for this time that was spent. I thank you for each person that uh, feels comfortable enough to to be able to share what's going on in their lives here, to trust their fellow brothers and sisters here with this information. I thank you for those who uh, were quick to go to their side and to pray for them. Help us, Lord, to remember to pray for one another throughout this week. Help us to um, just recall these things. Bring them back to our hearts and minds, God, that we might uh, continue and pray without ceasing for one another. Lord, uh, we pray especially for our college students who aren't with us here today because they're attending the InterVarsity Retreat. Um, God, we pray that this retreat will be a time of you just really waking their hearts up to a deeper uh, and, and more uh, impactful uh, awareness of your love for them and the relationship that they have with you. Pray that you would empower Joey to uh, speak into their hearts.
hearts to take your word and to make it clear to them through the work of your spirit um, what it is that you want them to hear and what you want them to come away with. Um, God, you know our joys, and you know our sorrows, you know everything in between, and we thank you most of all, God, that we can, uh, that we can bring these things and lay them at your feet and know that you will care, carry them for us because of how much you care for each one of us. And now, Lord, at this time, uh, we pray for our pastor. Uh, we pray for uh, you to work mightily in his life, uh, to provide for him and for Lena as they prepare for a new one coming into their, their home in December. We pray, God, that you will meet each of their daily needs, and we pray, God, that you will just bless and enrich their marriage and their love for one another. And right now, in this moment, God, we pray that you would be the voice in Pastor Evan's vocal cords speaking to us uh, the word of Jesus so that we would know how to be more like Jesus in our own lives. So, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this body. And uh, thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, Nick. Thank you, everyone. Turn to your seats, um, we will get into the Word and what God has to say to us. And over this current season, um, we're going through a little three-week series, kind of between series, on really what we believe to be the foundations, um, the fundamentals of discipleship, of following Jesus. And so as we just wrapped up going through the Sermon on the Mount all summer long, and as we prepare to go into a fairly lengthy series um, in the book of Genesis, and we're going to be looking at one of the most important characters in the entire Old Testament, Abraham. Um, in between there, um, we just want to take this time to remind us of these fundamentals. That the fundamental call for a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to be sent into the world. And this is a series that we've been through before. Um, you probably remember some of it. Um, but we try to talk about these fundamentals periodically and to remind us of it maybe yearly because not only is this just something that we need to be taught once, but I think all of our lives revolve really around these three goals, to be with him, to be like him, to be sent on mission. And I think it's always appropriate to remind ourselves of this, to remind ourselves of this. Now, I know a lot of the times, um, pastors especially, they don't like to repeat messages too often because it makes them look like, I don't know, uneducated or just like they haven't been prepared very much. And I do think it's a problem if like sermons are just overly repetitive because you know, you haven't prayed or studied or this and that. But I think repetition is a tool that God uses often to, to stir us up on something that maybe we already know, but maybe we've just kind of become dull or jaded to it. Um, because I think we all know that knowing is half the battle. Um, there are plenty of people who are able to explain doctrines or explain things that Jesus wants, um, but with really no interest in living it out. Um, just being able to explain it. And so hopefully, as we are repeating this again, that this could be something that would kind of wake maybe the drowsiness up, that would just stir our hearts to have a new and fresh passion for being with Jesus, for being like him, and being sent on mission for him. And so we're going to be repeating this again. And honestly, I think we have to remember that if we're going to be too critical of repetition, I just want us to see what 2 Peter chapter 1 has to say here, and this is something that I have to remind myself of as I say, okay, we're going to go back to the fundamentals, but the fundamentals are boring, I want to move on to new stuff, 
Well, this is what Peter said in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent that is this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. And so I was really struck by those words of Peter. Because what Peter is saying is that even if we know these things, even if we know these, these qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to add to us, we need to be reminded. And we need to be reminded because that stirs us up. Because that can stir us up. That refreshing of memory is important, I think, for us to continue to live this out. And so I want us to be stirred up. And hopefully, prayerfully, as we look at the topic of being with Jesus today, maybe we'll come away with a new understanding that we didn't have before. Um, but at the very least, my hope is that we are stirred up and have a little more passion, a little more intensity about this call to be like Jesus than we did when we walked into this place. So that's why we go over these things over and over. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be like him. We're going to be sent on mission. But on this topic of being with Jesus, Nick covered that last week and just how God has opened a way. And like we just talked about as we entered into prayer that because of Christ's righteousness, he has entered a way for us to be in his presence daily. And now as we look at the topic of being like Jesus, I think many of us know that in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, we're told that we were made in the image and likeness of God. And so this has a ton of implications of all that it means. Um, but one of the fundamental things that it means and that it reminds us of is, you know, kings of old, they used to make images of themselves out of, you know, gold and silver and set them up. And God made images of himself in terms of humans, of us. We exist in order to display and image him. However, we don't always image and display him very well, do we? And so when Jesus came, Colossians 1 says that he's the visible image of the invisible God. And he came to redeem us and to redeem the image of God in us. To make us able to look like him and be a picture of him to the world again so that we can look like Jesus. And fundamentally, this is one the central things that we're called to as Christians is to look like Jesus. First John chapter 2 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. First Peter chapter 2 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So we are called image Jesus, to look like Jesus. And the idea is that essentially, if we were to consider what Jesus looks like, you should kind of be able to trace Lindsay or Chris or Mary, and if you trace them, you'll kind of get a bit of an image of Jesus. You'll be able to see what Jesus looks like. And that is the hope and the call of us. And so I want to ask you guys one question, and shout out answers, I want to hear if we're talking about being like Jesus, looking like Jesus, picturing him, then I want to ask you guys, well, what, does, what is Jesus like? Feel free to shout out answers. What is Jesus like? Kathleen. When I was a baby, all I can remember is my mom had a picture of Jesus over my, my bed. Mm -hmm. And I've always been curious. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, like what he actually looks like? Yeah, yeah. No, no. I've been curious about who he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. It, it was very difficult just coming from a picture. I didn't get into the Bible right away. I mean, I went a little bit, but not enough. So, but so yeah. But like you said, so we get clear picture from the Bible. So what do we what do we see? What is Jesus like? Kind. He's what? Kind. Kind. Inclusive. <laughs> Sorry, what was your second comment? <laughs> he put God first. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But ahead of himself. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Now, when you picture Jesus, you're all 100% correct. I'll tell you which one I'm actually looking for and which one we're going to talk about. And one of you actually did guess that and nailed it. So the Holy Spirit spoiled that question and gave you the answer to that one. But Jesus is a servant. <laughs> But so when you picture what Jesus is wearing, what do you picture what Jesus wears? What is the image that you have in your mind? White robe. A white robe, right? Yeah. With like a purple sash, too. That's pretty common. <laughs> you, you guys got these answers so fast. Honestly, Isaac, that was like the one thing. Yeah, sandals. Okay, yeah. But that main thing, that's kind of the picture that I always have in my mind of Jesus. And that's something that I think many of us have in mind of Jesus. As he wears this white robe, and so he's got like a purple sash or something. He's got his, see where Burks or Chalk goes, I don't know, that's probably a heated theological debate, but he wears sandals. <laughs> but what I'm going to show us today, what I think Jesus is like, is I think he is a servant. And I think while we often picture him wearing a robe, the story we're going to look at today actually shows him wearing a towel. Shows him wearing a towel. And don't think in like just shower towel, but more of a servant towel. And the story that we're going to look at to see this is going to come from John chapter 13. And we're going to look at one of the most fundamental pictures of Jesus as a servant. Because as we know, he came as a servant. Mark 10 says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for men. And Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And so this, I think, is the mindset that we're to have, too. If Jesus is a servant, then we're to be a servant. And if what Jesus wore wasn't just a robe like a king all the time, but to wear a towel, then I think we're called to do the same. And I think the mindset that we're to have going to get from John chapter 13 here, but it's this towel-wearing servant mindset of Jesus. And in John chapter 13, where we're going to read about this story, um, this is a very, very important chapter in the Bible, and a very key moment in the Gospel of John. This is the first moment of what's called the Upper Room Discourse, where it's the beginning of Jesus' last day with his disciples before the cross. And it's the night of the Last Supper. It's the night that communion was instituted. And so this chapter begins in John chapter 13. It begins that whole evening, that evening where they're going to eat together, have their Last Supper. 
Um, but John's account of this evening is a little different than the other Gospels. And one of the interesting things is that while this is the night of the Last Supper, John completely leaves out the Supper. It's kind of interesting. And don't let anyone try to come at you and say, well, that's an inconsistency with the Bible or something. He left it out. It didn't happen. But I think one of the main reasons that John left this out is, well, you can read about it in the other Gospels. <laughs> John was the last Gospel written. And what he and what the Holy Spirit was leading him to emphasize was this other moment that the other Gospels didn't record. And it was this moment in which John and all the other disciples' minds were blown. And that was the moment in which Jesus took off the robe, put on the towel, and washed the disciples' feet, and showed through an extreme example what a servant looks like. And so we will read from John chapter 13, verse 1, through verse 17. We'll have the words on the screen, but follow along with me here. So John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. He had to throw that in there. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's a great story, isn't it? This is Jesus perfectly modeling what a servant looks like. Jesus, the greatest man to ever walk the earth, what the other Gospels will record in the middle of all this, some of them will argue and fight and have all these discussions about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit at his right hand, but Jesus instead, and knowing that one of them there was going to betray him, he wraps a towel around his waist and he started to wash their feet. Wash their feet. And he did this, I think, for very specific reasons. And you see, right after Jesus does this, if you were to continue on in the chapter, then you'll see that Jesus gives his disciples what is often known as the new commandment. Or it's like the 11th commandment, right? Where Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
And this was the new commandment Jesus gave after first washing the feet here. And this new commandment became really central to everything that Jesus said following forward to this. Everything that he said here. Because you see, in verse 1 that we had just read at the start of this chapter, it says, talking about Jesus here, it says, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And John, the author here, was pointing out that everything done in this chapter, and actually everything done for the rest of Jesus' life before the cross, was out of this love. It was to show this love. And many of us probably know, like John's epistles, and especially the Gospel of John, it's, it's often, the epistles are often touted as like, well, the epistles of love, and they're all about love, and John is often called like the gospel or the apostle of love, because he uses this term so much. But this is actually the start of it. This is like the first impression we get to see Jesus' love carried out through the rest of the book and through the rest of John's writings. You see, we find this story in chapter 13 of John's Gospel. Up until this point, in the first 12 chapters of John's Gospel, the word love, or agape, which is usually the word that Jesus used for himself, of his love, or the one that John attributed to him, for 12 chapters, that word is found 12 times. Pretty even spread. Nothing too intense about it. Well now, from chapter 13 to the end of John's Gospel, Chapter 21, that word, agape itself, will be used 44 more times. And the word phileo and brotherly love is going to be used a handful of times as well. And so love is a massive theme at the end of the Gospel of John, and it begins right here. This is the first impression, this is the action that sets off this course of love, and it's Jesus watching the disciples' feet. This is the first way in which hey, I'm going to teach you guys and show you guys what my love looks like, and it looks like Jesus putting on a towel and washing feet. It's love through service, through this humble service. And so he institutes this new commandment with, frankly, a really high and a new standard to what love is. Because what we see here, if this is the first impression, if this is the start of this whole teaching on love, then what it means to love one another is like Jesus said, it's these acts of humble service, of washing the feet. That love is not just like, yeah, you know, when I look at them, I have a positive disposition towards them, I have like positive emotions about them. What Jesus is saying is that if you want to understand love and how it's going to be used the rest of the Gospel of John, it starts with this action of service towards the other. And that's a really high standard that Jesus has just set. That loving others begins through these acts of humble service. This is the new command, love one another, he says. Do it as I have loved you. So, that's how he demonstrated his love. Through washing their feet. Through washing their feet. But we know, obviously, this standard of love, of loving one another in that way, is pretty difficult. It can be fairly easy to like say that we love other people and to have those positive emotions towards them. But when it actually comes to having the rubber meet the road, it gets tricky. You know, I heard this story about these two twin brothers who they were fairly close. You know, they had brotherly love together, but maybe they weren't necessarily the type who would serve others and do anything and everything for one another. And 
And one brother, he had gotten really sick, and he was going to the doctor, and they were gonna kinda give the results of all these different tests that had come out to determine what was wrong with this brother. And so the other twin brother drove that brother to the hospital. And after they got all the tests, um, the doctor was really kind of looking distraught because the tests obviously weren't good. There were going to be a lot of different things that were wrong here. And so before he talked to the sick brother, he wanted to talk um, to the other one first because they lived together and he just wanted to prepare this other brother um, for what was going to take place in his twin's life. And so he told him, you know, I just want to tell you before I give your brother all the diagnosis, but he's facing some really serious things. He has a lot of things wrong with him, but... It is treatable, there is hope. However, it's going to require a lot out of you. You are going to have to really serve your brother. You're going to have to essentially cook for him, clean for him, you're gonna to have to wash him, bathe him, you're gonna to have to feed him, do all of that, you're gonna to have to brush his teeth, you're gonna to have to serve your brother like you've never served before. And if you do that, there's hope that we can save your brother. So the brother says, okay, I understand. He goes, well, would you like me to tell your brother all this? We can have this conversation with the two of us, and he says, no, don't worry about it, I'll tell him. So he leaves the room, and immediately he asks, well, what did the doctor tell you? Why did he talk to you before he talked to me? He says, well, the doctor wanted you to know. There's nothing we can do. You're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Serving others is hard, right? And a lot of the times, when we know that this could do a lot of good things, we still think, ah, like, oh, man, that's still a lot of work. That's still going to happen in our lives. Like, I have positive feelings, and I want to do all that I can do, but oftentimes when the rubber meets the road, it's a lot harder to love than it seems. But Jesus is showing here this extreme example, this radical standard of what loving one another looks like that was set by him. And it really was very extreme, the way Jesus did this. And I think there's a reason that Peter was so disturbed by this, you know? Peter immediately responded like, no, Jesus, I don't want you washing my feet. You will never do this. And in the original language, Peter basically said, no, never, ever. He didn't want him washing his feet. Because of all the things that Jesus could have done for his disciples, for Peter in this moment, all of the ways he could have served him, he could have cooked the dinner or cleaned the dishes or done literally anything else, washing the feet was about the lowest thing of all the different tasks that someone could look at and say, like, eh, that's kind of beneath me, I don't want to do that, this was it. And so here was Jesus, their Lord, their rabbi, taking this lowly position, saying, it's not beneath me, I'm going to serve you this way. Anyway. And honestly, I think we have to give Peter some credit here, um, because even though this is like one of the one times that what Peter said sounded like really good, again, Jesus made him like stick it back in his mouth after that, um, but really, Peter was onto something. He was onto something that the Messiah, the Rabbi, the Lord, you wouldn't expect him to take this lowly position, to be in such a position as to wash his disciples' feet. This was really extreme standard. And if you remember, even John the Baptist did something similar with Jesus when Jesus went to go be baptized, and John said, "No, I shouldn't be baptizing you. I'm not even ready to tie your shoes." But nonetheless, this is why Jesus came. He came to take on the form of a servant. Nothing was going to be beneath him or below him. He was going to serve in this radical way. And for John's original audience, which frankly was kind of a mixed group, this was shocking as well. You see, John wrote mostly to non-Jewish Christians um, who had come either out of like Roman or Greek backgrounds. 
And so while we're probably familiar with Matthew's Gospel being written predominantly to a Jewish audience, he, he really emphasizes in the Lord's Supper the, the communion and the Passover meal, how Jesus made the Passover all about him, and these elements from the Passover meal were now fulfilled in Jesus and were just a picture of him. And well, for John's Greek and Roman audience, this foot washing is what they needed to see. Because you see, the Romans, they didn't have any concept of humility that was positive. Humility for the Roman culture was only ever a negative thing. You do not put yourself below someone else willingly. It was all might makes right. Herod said to Jesus, what is truth? Because Herod was in charge. He's the one who gets to decide what's true. You don't ever put yourself above anyone in Roman culture. Humility was not a virtue. And for the Greeks, the Greeks actually despised manual labor. That's why you probably picture Greek philosophers as those guys that just sit in the sun and drink wine and smoke pipes all the time. Because they thought that manual labor itself was inhumane. That's for the animals, that's for beasts of burden, but it's not for humans. And here, Jesus did both. He humbled himself, took the towel, washed their feet, got his hands dirty, performed this as we read earlier, the purpose was to serve you, to show what he's doing. And ultimately, we know the end of the story, the ultimate act of service that he was going to do was on the cross. Of fully laying his life down, came to serve, to be a ransom for men. And this powerful statement of Jesus that goes completely against the culture of the day is given to us as the same standard and the same example that we are to follow too. This idea that even in spite of who Jesus is, he, through his act of service, said there's nothing beneath him, nothing below him. And I think we are to look at this standard and consider this in our own lives. As we look around and as we see the opportunities that we have to serve one another, we have to have the same mindset. We have to have the mindset that's willing to put on the towel and say there is nothing beneath me, nothing below me. And I think we have to stop and take a look at our own lives and consider how have we been maybe unwilling in the past to take up the towel? How have we avoided opportunities to serve others? And to consider how we can instead put on the mindset of Christ. How can we take up this towel and serve like Jesus served? How can we wash feet in this way? And it's kind of interesting, there are some churches out there who consider foot washing an ordinance, or some would even say a sacrament. They put it up there with baptism and communion. And some churches, they regularly schedule times to wash one another's feet. Um, and honestly, good for them. I think if Jesus did it, and he didn't ban it, good for them. That's awesome. Plus, I think if Jesus did it then, in a sandal-dominant culture, where the hygiene practices were slightly different, um, and he did it at the end of the day, at dinner, I think we kind of would have it a lot easier if we were to do it in the morning at church for a bunch of software and Americans. Like, probably we, we have it a lot easier than you do. Um, but I don't think what he's going for is just to wash one another's feet all the time. I think he's after more the heart of a servant, right? He's after this heart posture, willing to do something. Because for them, that was a very practical thing that needed to be done. Hopefully you don't need your feet washed that practically. Like, you're good. You'll be okay for the next day. But here, what Jesus is after is this heart, this posture. He wants us to consider daily, how can we wash one another's feet? How can we serve one another in this way? 
even if there's something losing, blowing that I do not want to do? How can I take on the mindset of Christ? Do this. Serve others. Because of the way Christ has served us. And really, this is still a very provocative statement for our culture today. Because service, and maybe thinking of others first, in the Christian circles, should be first and foremost. But I think we can all agree that in the culture at large, it's not. It's not just our first impression, our first thought, to consider others above ourselves. I think, by and large, in our culture, we have much more of a robe-wearing mentality than a towel-wearing mentality, right? We like good service. We get really angry when we are served not very well, right? Because we view ourselves as the one wearing the robes, not as the one wearing the towels. And so we expect to be served. And you see this played out, you know, sometimes. You'll go to a restaurant, the food will come out, it's not quite what you expected, and just the fury and the rage. It's like, this is not the service I paid for. Here I am, robe-wearing, sash-wearing, not being served the way that I wanted to. You know, bring out the cook, let me talk to them, let me make sure that they never work in food again. And it's like, Nick, relax, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> I've never seen Nick lose his cool, but it's not like that. But often, in our culture, we have this robe-wearing mentality. And we're supposed to be different. And I think if we are different, people notice. People notice. They see that there's something different by people who are willing to jump in and serve and not to be the people who are always expecting to be served. And you see, as Jesus continued to teach here, that's what he was showing. He was showing this witness of him as being based in our service and our love for one another. As he continued, if you continue in the Gospel of John through these chapters, he'll teach on his love for us and how that's to propel out into love for one another as well. And obviously he made the connection here that our witness of him, that our preaching of the Gospel is also found in our love for him. And that begins here, that they will know you're my disciples because of the way that you love one another. That this is also kind of the beginning. This is the start of what it looks like to be sent on mission. This is the start what it means to witness to him. And so next week we'll talk more about mission and being sent on his mission and the command that we're given to preach the gospel to all creation, as he said in Mark's gospel. But here's the thing, he begins it here with this act of service. And before he gets to that teaching, he begins and says it's going to be the way that you love one another through this standard of, of acts of service that I've given And I think what he's showing us is what, what God wants out of us as we move out and be missionaries in the world and proclaim his gospel is that long before we have even opened our mouth, we should have already made an impression with our actions. We could have already made an impression by showing love through service. And I promise you that, that when you go out and share the gospel, if you've been someone who has loved others through service, and if people look at you and they see something different, they don't see someone who's wearing a robe and always expecting to be served, but they see someone who wears a towel and is always serving others, then once it comes time for you to open your mouth and to proclaim Christ's goodness, people will be listening. They'll have their attention. Because Jesus intended it to be connected in this way. He intended this act of love and service to be connected to our witness of Him. And so if our job as Christians is to be like Him, to mimic and image Him to the world, to be a picture who God is to the world, 
through service here. Begins here through the way that we live in serving and loving others. We're called to take a towel, to wash one another's feet in that way. It's acts of loving service. And honestly, I do have to say to all of you that I love where we're at with the church on this. And again, this is a message, not because it's something new to you, and I don't think this is too mind-blowing to you, but this is something to be reminded of in order to stir us, in order to encourage a new level of zeal for being a servant like Christ. I mean, I just look around and I see the many different ways that you guys are serving. That's a beautiful witness to Christ. Many of you who are serving camp, how awesome, and the way that you serve students or leaders this last summer. Right? Many of you who have been serving the homeless at the Hope Center or have been working hard on Showered with Hope so that we can serve others and literally wash feet. Many of you are serving in campus ministries, with campus ventures, with InterVarsity. I got to speak at InterVarsity this last week and it was just awesome to see the students doing all the work that it takes to make worship and a gathering possible for students on campus. Just all the service that then just a few weeks ago, some of you um, did a really good job of serving that random family that was in town that had pneumonia at the hospital. Uh, with a phone call, I just said, hey, can you go visit them? And a bunch of people found their way, went on the wild goose chase to find this guy who was in the hospital with pneumonia and a crate. Like, honestly, you guys are doing great. That is a powerful witness to who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So keep it up. Keep on, keep on surfing. But let this be a reminder to you, and let this be something that stirs you up that increases your passion for being a servant in this way. Because I really do think our world needs to see Jesus. Our world needs to see the gospel. Right? But our world needs to be loved as well. And this is the first way, this is the first impression Jesus gave us. Here is how you display my love to others, through acts of service. And as we are in this series on kind of the fundamentals, with Jesus being like Jesus, being sent on mission for him. Um, we're doing communion three times every week during this service. So some of you have had your minds blown and you didn't know where it was in the month because we're doing it. We usually did it the last Sunday of the month. And so yeah, here we are doing it three times in a row. And we're doing it repetitively. Why? Because it will stir us in order to stir us. Um, but we initially decided to do this because when it came to being with Jesus, it's obviously through the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body, that we are even able to be with Jesus. So we wanted to do it last week as we considered that and we remembered that. And coming to the table, we are coming to be with him. And when it comes to being a servant like Jesus, well, frankly, there was no greater act of service ever done than the way that Jesus laid down his life on the cross. Great act of service to God as he directed him to it great act of service to us as being a ransom for us. And so we're doing communion again today as a repetitive thing to stir us up. And if we remember when Jesus instituted it in the other Gospels, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's the object of this. It's to remember Jesus. And the reality is that if Jesus said he instituted this to be a remembrance of him, then it's possible that we forget, don't we? It's possible that of all the things going on in our lives and all the things that are going on out there, that we come in here and maybe we're not always remembering him. 
that the circumstances of our lives can often just kind of put him to the side. And we can actually come to the point where even in worship, even in learning, he's not the central focus here. And you see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul actually says that there is a wrong way to do communion. And in verse 29, he says it's to do so without discerning the body. Right? It's to fail to recognize that this is all about Jesus. It signifies his life, his death, his work that he performed for us in his body. And now, as we are his body, his continued work in the world. And so before we enter this time, let this just be a reminder to stir in our hearts, to, to remember that this isn't just snack time, right? But this is a proclamation of what we believe. This is a proclamation of Jesus' work in his body. And if we've come in with distractions and all these different things, well, the really cool thing about communion is it, it just crashes through all those distractions because God has ordained it in a way to make it these physical things of, of bread and wine, and it involves our senses so he crashes through and he reminds us it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. And so whatever you came in here with, I would just encourage you during this time, would you make Christ and his service to you the central focus of what you're doing right now? And we're going to do communion a little differently than we've been doing it. And that is that our elders are actually going to break the bread for you and actually pour wine. And hopefully you haven't worn white pants today so that we don't spill it on you. Um, but this is just our attempt at capturing, in a small sense, how Christ served us. This act that we're remembering with his blood poured out and with his body broken is an act of service. And so hopefully this is just a small way in which you can see that being done. As we see Christ as the ultimate servant, and as we seek to be like him and to mirror him. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite the band, and I'm going to invite our elders up. As we come before the table, as we keep Christ the central focus here, remembering what he did for us, remembering this great act of loving service. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? So Father God, we just come before this table, we come before your word, after seeing so many ways in which proclaimed who you are to us. And so, God, we just focus our hearts and minds on you now. And we just repent of all the different ways that we have not served in the way that you've served. We have not loved in the ways that you've loved. We just thank you that your love is powerful, effective for us. Change our life. Made a way for us to come before you. And so, God, now as we come before the table here, front and center. Would you just remind us and keep it on the focus of our heart how your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us. And would you be doing the work in our spirit to make us a people who love like you love, who serve like you serve. Because Jesus, it's our desire to image you to the world. And would you make us a people who serve the way that you serve. So Jesus, we just thank you for all that you've done.
Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So common ground, as you go, you go knowing the service that Jesus has given you.